my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. He turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. I'm saying that you cannot say that numbers collected at the employer's place of business reflect simply the employer's policies. Those, num those numbers reflect underlying conditions in the whole society, just as numbers collected at the hospital do not show you that people are sick because they're in the hospital. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. You're tuning in to The Unveiled Patriot with yours truly, Travis Masterbone, and this is episode 13, titled Ludwig von Mises and the Modern Left. Ludwig Heinrich Edler von Mises. Quote, the Marxians' love of democratic institutions was a strategy only, a pious fraud for the deception of the masses. Within a socialist community, there is no room left for freedom. Mr. Von Mises. Who is he? Well, he was primarily known for his various extensive writings on classical liberalism and he was a major influence for the libertarian movement since the mid-20th century. He taught a famous student of his, uh, Friedrich Hayek, also an Austrian-British economist and philosopher who defended classical liberalism as well. And he is the author of the book Road to Serfdom, and uh, we can get into that another time. But Hayek very prominent figure in history, highlighted that Ludwig von Mises was one of the most important figures in the revival of classical liberalism in the post-war era. And I really wanted to get into this, uh, specifically who von Mises was, what he did, and then really dive into classical liberal policies and how they have really evolved and absolutely turned into something else that we define as the left today or that we should define as the left today. We hear the left being called liberals all the time, and I'm here to kind of point out and highlight that that term really did get hijacked, and we will go into more detail, but let's first start with definitions. This is very important, especially with my unveiling. It's learning exactly what these words and ideologies mean. And you have to know in order to really define what you believe in and who you are and understand where the arguments come from and where people truly stand. So what exactly is liberalism? Well, it's a political and economic philosophy um, surrounding around the concept of individual liberty. And the modern origins will date back to John Locke. That should be a familiar, famous name. Um, and, you know, where he states each individual's natural, uh, natural right to life, liberty, and property. And so if you look up the definition of liberalism in Google, number one, willingness to respect or accept behavior or opinions different from one's own. 
and openness to new ideas. And then two, a political and social philosophy that promotes individual rights, civil liberties, democracy, and free enterprise. And so again, I wanted to zoom in on what liberalism is in the classical sense and the modern sense. And again, specifically, talk about Ludwig von Mises and specifically his book, Liberalism and the Classical Tradition. And so his definition in this book is a little similar to that, but a bit more in-depth and specific. And so liberalism, according to von Mises, is the great political and intellectual movement that... One, substituted free enterprise and the market economy for pre-capitalistic methods of production. Two, established constitutional representative representative government in place of absolutism, which we'll definitely get into in just a bit about absolutism. Um, And then third, promoted freedom for all individuals instead of slavery serfdom, and other forms of bondage. So again, we see nowadays a claiming of this term liberal, liberalism, by a particular group today. And this ideological emergence is very prominent and mainstream. But what's interesting and ironic is that the modern liberals today seem to behave and express the exact opposite views and policies of not only that Google definition today, but also the classical one from von Mises. And so I think it's important to title and label those today as leftists or leftism, right? We need to separate these two and try to bring back the true classical liberals and those policies, and today we will go over the arguments von Mises presents and the foundations of those. And so, as I mentioned in previous episodes, I see myself as, you know, a classical liberal, maybe a blend of libertarian and conservative views. Um, No particular order, but, you know, again, this is part of my unveiling. I had to figure out what these terms meant and who were believers of them, and how it kind of translated and evolved over time. It's about sitting and critically analyzing why I'm defining myself, and I believe my listeners uh, should do the same. And so as we refer back to that Google definition, how I make that connection, I genuinely do feel um, and know that I have a willingness to respect and accept behavior when it differs from my own. Now, granted, it doesn't mean I need to concede to it, and respect needs to be earned, and it depends on the behavior, but I do have an openness to new ideas. And if I really think about it, this is how the podcast kind of emerged. I did have a different set of ideas before 2020, and then I just did above and beyond research, did my homework, and formulated a a place where I am today. And then I'm also a huge supporter of individualism, individual rights, civil liberties, 
free enterprise from an economic standpoint and a moral standpoint. And I would say the only thing we should tweak or I would tweak is this idea that democracy is at the forefront. And I would substitute it with the founding fathers uh, constitutional republic. And voila, here I am and here's what I believe. And so liberalism over time evolved from the pre-liberal time where it was actually very controversial um, and then it transferred through again the famous John Locke expressed heavily by Adam Smith and of course through our founding fathers and throughout this episode Mises likes to refer or throughout this book Mises likes to refer to liberalism as classical liberalism or true liberalism And so let's really get into it. Ludwig von Mises, who is he specifically? He was an Austrian school economist, historian, sociologist, with far too many accolades and accomplishments to rattle off in just one episode. But we'll get into uh, a few of his prominent writings. And uh, yeah, he worked as an economic advisor who, um, for someone who was strongly anti-Nazi, um, the Austrian Chancellor Engelbert Doldus. And so it's very important to know the time period of von Mises and really the roots of his writings uh, stem from an anti-Nazi standpoint, which is very interesting because nowadays, again, I'm here to kind of highlight and show the differences from the left today or the liberals of today versus yesterday, right? But also, we need to understand classical liberals were against absolutism, against totalitarian, authoritarian societies and living over there and seeing the emergence of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Germany um, emergence. This is where... He really gets a lot of his content and essentially why he flees to the U.S. Moving forward, he was a professor and graduate um, at the Graduate Institute of International Studies. Um, He was basically just memorized with how wealth was created and destroyed. And economics was one of the primary vehicles that he mastered in his conquest, basically, to defend civilizations against tyranny, against government tyranny. He dedicated his life to this, along with many other historical figures that we can um, go into in other episodes. But these are the people that I really want to read and try my best to understand when I'm looking at an ideology or a certain political viewpoint. Um, so into some of his writings in School, his thesis, the book, The Theory of Money and Credit. This book highlighted how he was against centralizing banks and how this would inflate the currency and deflate its value and how that affected uh, society as a whole from an economic standpoint. He wrote books such as Nation, State and Economy, where he defends free markets and free trade. His magnum opus, Human Action, which presented a comprehensive case for laissez-faire, uh, 
and capitalism and basing it on individual decision making. And so, again, um, these books really do stem from when Hitler came into power and Mises saw the writings on the wall and he suspected trouble, to say the least, for Austria. And this led him to immigrate to the U.S. in the 1940s. And in a way, he sort of started from scratch. He wasn't really widely known in the States. He taught at New York University and really set out to be more than just a historian. And so here he wrote books, Omnipotent Government, The Rise of the Total State and Total War. And this was a refutation of the nationalists, uh, the National Socialist Doctrine. And that's what Nazi stood for, National Socialism. So it was just a book really highlighting and outlining arguments against that. And Ludwig was highly familiar with this. And so the magnum opus got translated to English. He started becoming very popular and still goals in mind, just fighting for the rights of individualism, the opposite of collectivism, central planning he fought against in the welfare state, more free decision making, free market capitalism. And just throughout all my studies, I just relate to this tenfold on all levels. And it really does inspire me. And I think it'll inspire you. This book is not too complicated. I highly recommend it. Again, liberalism and the classic tradition. We're going to go go more into uh, get a little bit more into it right now. This was written in 1927. Whether you listen to it or read it, um, it's really not too difficult. Uh, simple, to the point, well-structured. You do not have to be an economist. Exhibit A. And uh, yeah. So again, uh, for today and for time's sakes, relevance, and just my personal experience, we're going to dive into the specific topics within this book. One being property, private property to be specific. Two, freedom. And a little bit, three, a little bit of the free market capitalism. And they really do end up blending quite nicely. And these are just the foundational policies of classical liberalism, and I'm excited to get into it. So let's get this going. Number one, property, as I just said, private property. So von Mises really, really does highlight the importance of the division of labor and how this is really, really a unique and important thing that humans discovered and put together that separate themselves from other species. So the division of labor is essentially the process of dividing specific responsibilities or tasks in a project, uh, manufacturing processes, what have you, and just dividing up the tasks to different people. And so a basic example, I I can use is the construction process and building a house and selling a house, right? Um, we really hone in on specialized workers to get the job done with specific tasks, such as plastering, plumbing, electricians. You got a project manager organizing and planning the day-to-day, month-to-month, whatever. 
to overall get the job done, real estate agents to sell the home, the works. So they all play a role rather than each individual trying to master multiple skills. So that seems pretty simple, right? And so just extrapolate that to multiple sectors that we have in the world. We divide up the work to be more efficient and by far more productive. And so division of labor through the rationale of Mises, again, is one of the most unique principles that separates us from other species. You know, the things that we have today, we would be no different from our ancestors 10,000 years ago, right? This is this principle has just really accelerated overall innovation and growth, right? And he's, he's an economist. So throughout this book, we have to keep in mind, he's really, really, I would say, on an economic scientific level of just measuring how a society grows and how to build wealth. And this is a big, big part. But it's important to have division of labor run efficiently. It's paramount on how the economy grows and creating the specialists. And they believe, classical liberals, von Mises, they believe the best way for the division of labor to operate in the most productive manner is through private ownership, right, on private property. And so it's this distinction and comparison of private ownership of the means of production versus communal ownership of the means of production. And if you've listened to some of my earlier episodes, communal ownership essentially is socialism and communism. And then the private ownership would be capitalism. All right, so classical liberals, von Mises, they're for capitalism and the private ownership of the means of production. Socialists and communists, they always side with the communal ownership aspect. And so classical liberals believe the only workable system of human cooperation is through private ownership and the application of a socialist communal ownership of production. It's not impossible to do, but this always leads to a reduction in the overall productivity and the utilization of human labor is hindered. Wealth. Wealth originates and grows through private ownership. And it is much more likely to, dim- to diminish in the communal ownership aspects of society, right? And we've seen this before throughout the past, right? And what socialists and communists don't understand, well, First of all, they don't agree with capitalism. That is one thing. Like you'll hear and argue that with a leftist today that socialism and communism are different. They're completely different. You'll even hear crazy stuff where capitalism actually is actually more related to communism. But they have a tough time really explaining that. But I move forward. But overall, if there's one thing they definitely agree, and you could always put it in your back pocket when you're arguing with the left and trying to get that counterpoint, They will agree that capitalism is bad and that private ownership is bad and private ownership of the means of production to be specific, right? But there's one thing that they really don't consider. Like, think of this idea. So when they say 
that the community the community is going to own all the means of productions, they don't really consider. Give me for an example. If I come up with an idea, I brand it, I organize it, I hire individuals, and I take the risk. Socialists and communists don't really take into consideration of all those factors. It just immediately goes to the feudalistic society. I'm exploiting the people I'm hiring, even though the the damn jobs wouldn't exist in the first place, but I move forward. I just don't understand how splitting up my entire company and dividing it among my workers, they're going to take chunks out of it. This doesn't really incentivize me, especially through force. It doesn't incentivize me as a potential business owner or any other entrepreneur to pursue the goal of opening up that business, which creates productivity. And why would they? And if you think about it in a way, it is a form of slavery. It is unfair. I come up with the idea. I figure out how to brand it and market it. I do the organizing. I structure it. Again, I do the hiring. I find the investors. I make the pitch. I seal the funding. I disperse where that funding goes accordingly. And I hire the people and they take chunks of my business. It's really complicated. Now think about that being chopped up sector by sector, small businesses, big businesses. I I don't see how this works logically. And this is a big reason why classical liberals and von Mises really shy away from high taxes, federal income taxes, and overall government intervention, right? If the government takes half of uh, my company's profits, I mean, how is that any different from slavery? I work and toil and you eat the bread, right? And so in that sense, from a moral standpoint, I see where von Mises comes from. And communal ownership in that sense just really doesn't make sense to me. And it's less productive. But again, what I find time and time again with the left, on the surface, with rhetoric, leftist policies today sound good, but in theory... I mean, they sound good in theory, utopian, sounds good. But in practice, history has shown whenever it's been tried in the past, it ends horribly and it's inefficient. And I honestly just couldn't agree more. And so this kind of translates nicely into the second topic within this book, Uh, which we already kind of slightly have touched base on and alluded to already, and that's freedom. Vladimir Lenin refers to freedom as the bourgeois prejudice. We have to understand the very name of liberalism is derived from freedom. And it's specifically at the level of the individual. And if you ask a classical liberal... How much freedom? The response would likely tend towards as much freedom as possible. But we don't want the law of the jungle. We don't want people doing whatever they want, whenever they want. And this is the idea where we need to constrain freedom in some ways in order to maximize freedom for all. And this is understandable. If I give you an example, 
to make it illegal for someone to freely do physical harm to others whenever they feel like it or to freely take someone else's freedom, right? Uh, I I like the analogy of sports, right? The games are extremely fun and challenging, and for basketball, it's you have the freedom to do whatever you want within the lines on the court, within the rules of the game. And just think of that, think about that from a life perspective in certain sectors, right? And so this is again where the limited government, the founding fathers, where we don't want to be anarchists with no rules. We want the government to do certain things and not overreach. Liberals believe, classical liberals, that we don't protect people from mental harm because mental harm is too abstract of a concept. It is way too open for abuse. And we are seeing this more and more today in many different sectors and situations and events uh, in politics today. But classical liberals, we don't believe in that. Um, and the freedom of the individual is the main, main thing. And so we get into slave labor versus free labor in an economic standpoint. Again, slave labor, less efficient and obviously immoral. Well, today, back in the day, everyone was doing it. And this is inefficient because the individual will do the bare minimum to avoid punishment from the master and consequences. It's worked through force. And then, of course, the bread, the rewards, it goes to the master. And this was a feudalistic exchange, right? But free labor is more efficient because the individual will do as much as desired. No punishment or consequences, right? And this is a work by choice. The rewards go to the person who works. And it's interesting to think because even back in the day, it was argued that slave labor, believe it or not, they argued that it was not only in the best interests of society, but it was also in the best interests of the slaves themselves. And this was by prominent figures, high-minded philosophers and the rulers. You know, they just believed that certain people were born into mastery and others were born into bondage. That the slaves couldn't handle the freedom. They justified that it would be immoral to just cut them loose. And you know what? The slaves at the time, most of them accepted their servitude not only accepting it just because they had to yield to the master, but also because, again, they found themselves some good in it in regards to securing their bread, securing shelter from the master in exchange for that work, right? If we listen to my uh, czar Russian episode, right, there's a nice little blueprint to describe feudalistic societies and what they did. And classical liberals were opponents of this tenfold. And it was tough. They, they had to leverage the economic standpoint at the time that this was very inefficient, right? 
they had to leverage the economical standpoint of free labor as more beneficial and productive for a society as a whole for all humans, the slaves and the masters, right? It was much more difficult at the time to counter fully from that moral standpoint. And, you know, it just makes me think of, you know, domesticated cats and that meme where there's a split, a lion out in the safari looks healthy, upright, and then you see the one on the left where the lion is caged. Looks sad, dismal. The one on the left has security, food all the time, but is that the best way to treat people, treat animals? Is that the best way to be productive in a society? And I extrapolate that even further, and I just think about the philosophy of Booker T. Washington shortly after emancipation and the freedom of black America. And it's unfortunate because Booker T. understood that his community and the and his people, they needed to become more valuable and productive. You know, freedom. With freedom comes responsibility. And this is what he believed in. To create the prosperity of their own, not necessarily to demonize the once white masters of the time, and to also steer away from political routes and pushing for the welfare state mentality. He was against that. And it was controversial at the time. Remember, he was the original Uncle Tom, right? But again, it's important to note, classical liberals, they do believe in freedom, but they also understand it comes with responsibility. What you put in, you get out. And again, it reminds me back to my episode with Jeff Nichols, our long conversation, we were diving into how we are in a society that no longer praises individuals who choose and have the freedom to sacrifice hours of their life and dedicate themselves to a specific craft or business and become successful. We, we, don't, we don't praise them anymore. We have translated into a society that praises the deadbeat, so to speak, the one who doesn't put in as many hours. And doesn't reap, and you know, you reap what you sow. And again, somehow today we demonize the harder worker. And we don't even consider the fact that this harder worker risks those hours, meaning that there's no guarantee, even if he puts in those hours, there's no guarantee that he'll reap the benefits. You could do something wrong over and over and over again. And so it is a risk, but if that person does capitalize and become successful, we're in a real interesting time where we end up demonizing and the left today tries as hard as they can to legislate and penalize those who do so. It's very difficult, but again, we have to keep in mind it's a matter of choice in a free society. Choosing to work 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, fuck around on the weekend, go for it. That's your choice. Do your thing. You don't want to work at all. You have the choice to be homeless as well. And we're going to compare that to an individual who never socializes or rarely socializes, works Monday through Sunday, honing in, focusing on his craft. You know, it's a choice. You can do either or, right? There's always going to be disparity, 
and that's the tough one. That That is also a topic that he touches base on in this book about equality um, and disparities of equality when it comes to wealth, etc. But that's what you get with a free society. And the left just leverages that against its audience of today and presenting rhetoric and utopian ideas that we can somehow, some way, make all outcomes equal. And this is a good segue into translating into our third topic of capitalism. Von Mises, quote, All people, however fanatical they may be in their zeal to to disparage and fight capitalism, implicitly pay homage to it by passionately clamoring for the products it turns out. He's right on point. Classical liberalism, again, is in favor of capitalism. And it's viewed as a humane way. And this was an interesting point. A humane way for people to not only provide for themselves and grow society as a whole and pursue their goals, but also... It can be used as kind of a a way to fulfill their natural drives for that natural human nature of conflict and competition in nonviolent ways. And I touched base on this briefly with my conversation with CEO RJ. And then we started talking about dolphins. But I move forward. But conflict... Classical liberals, von Mises, myself, I mean, conflict in general is inevitable. Capitalism can channel it safely, productively, without state intervention. The more the state intervenes, the more power and the more likely to become tyrannical and coercive in the affairs of the individual people. Again, quote from von Mises, It is not the duty of the state to micromanage the affairs of the individual. The individual is a self-governed entity, selecting his own goals and reaching his own unique peaceful needs. End quote. Von Mises further states that capitalism elevates our standard of living, which a lot of leftist intellectuals seem to always leave to the side when it comes to trying to restructure and legislate and change our society. They always forget, like, how does our standard of living rise? And it's through capitalism. You know, this freedom of innovation and inspiration to do so without being forced to is a powerful, powerful component of a capitalist society. Combine that again with the division of labor, but yesterday's luxuries is today's necessities. And today's luxuries is tomorrow's necessities. Think about it. Like it was once a luxury to just be able to shit inside, indoors, in a bathroom, on a porcelain toilet. It was once a luxury one time, once upon a time to even own a car. I'm I'm rewatching Peaky Blinders and they're rolling around in Bentleys. These guys had money 
and privilege, but they worked for it. Not everyone had those Fords nowadays. Now, everyone does. It's crazy. These once luxuries are now necessities for people, and you can cite so many different examples, but capitalism, according to von Mises, is highly, highly responsible for this. And so essentially, those are just three topics that I really just wanted to touch base on. Again, there's plenty of others in there. These are just the foundational liberal policies of a classical liberal. And again, the other one was equality. Um, and then he touches base on peace, which I also really agree with. I can get more in depth on another episode. But the idea of peace, like I think everyone can get on board with that. I don't know so much today. It's kind of weird how people were really, really both sides of the spectrum were really interested in talking about civil war. And from a classical liberal standpoint, we are just very, very anti-war. This was also a big reason why I decided to vote for Trump. I move forward. But overall, great read. Genuinely and honestly would love for all my listeners to dive into that and see if it's something that resonates with you as well. So I wrap back around and I wanted to touch base on the real influence and reason why I made this episode today before I do literal comparisons of the left today versus a classical liberal. You know, this term liberal applies today towards Democrats, progressives, and as I mentioned earlier, we should start rewiring ourselves and calling them leftists. They are radical, and I'm not saying... Everyone who veers left on the teeter-totter is a leftist, but I think it's important to really separate and classify leftist policies today as opposed to those who believe in classical liberalism. You know, because that word is, is already degenerated and further degenerating into meaningless, meaninglessness and incoherence, and this needs to stop, in my opinion. And so I did a specific episode recently with uh, Tea Party Arizona president, my good friend, Dan Farley. And it's just funny because I get trolled and I see these comments and I know it's because I mentioned one name that triggers them. It was George Soros. I'm almost sure of it. And all of a sudden, people just think it's just wacky, looney toony stuff. But it's actually real conversation. And I genuinely really just want to know if things are true or not. I'm just trying to seek the truth. But what I've noticed with the left and how you can really spot them is their rash conclusions and assumptions. They just assume without actually diving into my episodes and understanding my perspective. There's no way in hell they're going to listen to this from beginning to end. But remember from that earlier Google definition, a liberal is supposed to be open-minded and accept and respect opinions that differ from their own. I want you to ask yourself, are you that person? And if you're not and you're starting to slide, slide slightly to the right, you know, take a look at what's going on over there. They will turn on you in an instant as soon as you don't believe or you say something that contradicts their ideologies. It's very somewhat fascist. It's kind of weird and it's kind of scary sometimes. And 
it sucks because the liberals of today do the exact opposite of the classical liberal from back then, which I resonate much more with. And so this leads me to just a direct comparison of the topics today. Private property, um, you know, liberals, classical liberals, pro-private property, private ownership of the means of production via efficient division of labor. Leftists are anti-private property, more pro-communal ownership of the means of production. In regards to freedom, which is crazy, especially with all this vaccine COVID crap, on freedom, liberals are pro-freedom and individualism, choice. Like, the left is more and more pro-government intervention and collectivism. They don't believe that people can make their own decisions and come up with their own rationale and protecting themselves in this day and age. They want to force you to mask, force you to vax, and they are willing to shun you and boot you out of society to do so. Plenty of examples there. I don't see that same mentality from the right. They may believe in different stuff, but they're not shunning and exiling you. You can still go make money and work and be free and do whatever you want. That's also a prime a more libertarian view. But for the most part, classical liberals are on that same pathway. And then finally, of course, capitalism. I know I kind of sound like a broken record, but liberals, classical liberals, they believe in the free enterprise. I would list people out of poverty. It's more efficient. Economic growth, higher standards of living. You can channel the conflict. So from a moral perspective, economic, it's just more beneficial for all. But the left, socialist, communist, whatever, they're anti-capitalism. They want less free enterprise. And they believe it's immoral for all. And economically, of course, unfair. And there's plenty other prominent differences that we can really extrapolate on when it comes to classical liberals versus the left. But, you know, as I close, I'm going to refer back to all the people that disagree with me, who troll me. You know, I, I've come across this endeavor with podcasting because not only did I want to educate, but I also wanted to learn more. And then it's a nice little diary that I have a feeling I'm going to love referring back to when I get older. But I've noticed with this podcast, the left doesn't want to hear all that. They don't want discourse. They don't ever want to genuinely potentially hear new information or a different standpoint. And you know what? I'll meet in the middle. If you feel the same way about me, so be it. But I'll tell you what, the difference is I'm openly asking people to come on and challenge me and have a discussion. Freedom of speech, this is a big reason why it's our First Amendment. Discourse is imperative, and I think that is really diminishing nowadays. <clears throat> so come on my platform. If I'm so loony-toony and I am so wrong 
in my beliefs, then you should be able to come on and absolutely crush me with cold, hard facts, logic, and reason. Right? Set the record straight. Prove that my misinformation and disinformation is what it is. You know? So I invite anybody, you know, if they want to talk about this episode or any other episodes... I'm really, really looking forward to it. So, the great Ludwig von Mises. Again, I highly encourage everyone to listen and go explore. Go look up many other names. Adam Smith, John Locke. Go one by one through our founding fathers. Learn about the Articles of Confederacy. Learn about the convention and the formation of our Constitution and what they believed. You might open up your eyes and mind to something you know, worthwhile that can change how you think and feel today. We dissected Bon Mises briefly here today. It's easy read, straight to the point. Again, my purpose today was just, again, highlighting routes and avenues that I've taken in my unveiling. And I just hope you do the same. This is a dynamic process. But for now, what I see today with the modern left, I don't resonate with it. I resonate much more with classical liberalism and the writings of Ludwig von Mises. So again, please, like, share, subscribe, all that shit. And thank you, from the bottom of my heart, for listening to The Unveiled Patriot with yours truly, Travis Masterbone, and I look forward to you tuning in next time. Farewell. Farewell.